Welcome to the Success Journey Show. Let's travel together through the lives of individuals on the road to success. Hey, what's going on, travelers? It is Ricky Ventures and Marlon Madden, and we are back with you for another episode of the Success Journey Show. Marlon, what's good, bro? How you doing today, man? Oh, man. You know, just, just enjoying life as usual and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing a couple different things. You know how it is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? I see, I see you have that, uh, that uh, H.A. Holmes hat. On, yeah, on the yeah, side yeah, in the corner yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to give I a shout out to um to, 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 to Hussein, man because that dude um we're supposed to you know I want to drop I want to do a special drop for him where we just tell everybody about how his um, customer service his hospitality the way he sets up his business is just impeccable I like that <clears throat> yeah yeah absolutely man he he is really focused on the full spectrum man of service right you know it's not just hey you know coming to my program is, is like, Hey, let's, um, yeah. let, let's rock, man. It, it takes you step by step each way, man. I love it. I love it. He's a good dude. Love working with him, man. Anything we haven't known him for a long, we met him right here on the show. Uh, yeah. another connection that right, we made the show. right on the show uh, a few years back and, um, he's been rocking with him ever since. So definitely yeah. shout out 31, to you. Yep. Yeah. 31,061 days. So you can't probably, oh, yeah. so we can't, <laughs> We can't knock him. You yeah, know, we, yeah, exactly. you can say what you want to say, but Hussein, you made us 31,000 in 61 days. And you heard that, people. And we're going to break down that deal for you. 31,000 yeah. in 61 days. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do more of that, man. Break down a lot more of those things, man, so people can yeah. see coming to stuff that we're doing. So, um, yeah, and more, and more to come on that. Definitely more to come on that aspect of it. Uh, man, what's been going on with you, man, in your world, man? I know, I know the kids are still going crazy with the, the sports, you know, having us playing taxi, coach, father, yeah. Yeah. Look, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you know, and that's fun part about it. Um, I, I, you know, there's some buzzwords going around or buzz terminology. <laughs> and it's one is I, I, I need to, when, when people get together, they start talking about that. That that work life balance. Oh yeah, that's the, first, that's the buzz phrase. And then the buzz word that I hate is, I just want to be present. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, some of y'all are at your house doing nothing, and you're sitting up on your couch with your phone in your hand when you could have been chilling with your kids. Yeah, dude, we, we got we got to talk about that, man. How much the phone has interfered with our lives, right? Just our relationships with our family members, with our friends. Um, it's like, you know, you have so many people that you've known over the years and, you know, there's some good elements to the social media to be able to stay in touch with people from a distance, but are you really connected, right? It, 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 are you really connected? You're not really connected, right? You know, it, 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 it creates that facade of connectivity where, you know, just because you think you see what's going on in those people's lives, you feel that you're a part of their lives. When you're you only getting what's going on in their shot. Life. Say it again. You don't see what's going on in their life because no. I guarantee you, no. nobody puts their trials and tribulations, a lot of people don't put their travels and tribulations on social media. Second, you always hear this, man, either, man, that person died. They always had a healthy picture up. 
oh my goodness, that couple divorced, they look so happy. Yeah. Oh, this happened. They were going through that financial strain. Oh man, they were always taking vacations. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not connected. Yeah. It's, a, it's so false that it's, it's sickening because somebody that I won't know, I won't talk to for the whole year. And to let everybody know, I took my birthday. I've been trying for years to take my birthday off social media because there's no reason <laughs> I, you and I don't talk any at all and you for you to wish me happy birthday. Yeah. I don't even celebrate my birthday. <laughs> so I don't need you yeah, to yeah. send me any kind of um, birthday. If you don't wish me a happy birthday, listen, from the horse's mouth, if you don't wish me yeah. a happy birthday, I am totally fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm 43 years old. If I'm worried or upset that somebody didn't celebrate my birthday, bought me a present, um, woke up and said happy birthday to me, I'm I'm focused on the wrong thing. Listen, Every man. It's a happy birthday. Yeah. Let, let me tell you, man. Marlon, the, the real deal, everybody, is that he just gets overwhelmed with the love that you pour out on him. He doesn't know how to respond, man. He doesn't know how to respond. He's like, man, how do I respond to all these people? I respond to one person and five other people say happy birthday to me, man. He gets overwhelmed. You should see him, man. He curls up in a corner during that day, man. That's like like uh, overload for him, man. So yeah, keep it up, guys. Keep it up. <laughs> no, don't keep it up. Because next and the only reason why this year they got to hit me up is because my wife said wrote on their best, uh, whatever she said, right? So that's the only reason because my I turned it off. I do not I do not care for nobody to tell me happy birthday, Merry Christmas, um, Easter, um, uh, Fourth of July. None of them. Yeah. You don't have to tell me any of them. Call, call me. Uh, what are you, uh, mass mass sergeant? Yeah. Oh, mass sergeant, man. Mass mass sergeant, grumpy, uh, Grinch, Scrooge, Madden. <laughs> call me, it. call me. It. The reason, the reason is people people focus on a specific day too much yeah. and don't understand like like okay so if if you think about this if you're in a marriage and you're only happy that you get a present on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, Day. Yeah. Christmas, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I, I I I see your point. When you come, I think the bigger the bigger picture of it is connectivity, right? You know. Being intentional about connecting with people outside of quote unquote special days. Like, am I really, are we, do we really have a relationship? Do you really want to be part of my life? You know, it can seem kind of fake if you're just saying, oh, happy birthday, just because everyone else has saying happy birthday. Or is that when you remembered me because a notification popped up on your social media that was your birthday? Hey, I'm not going to lie. I've been in the fall of that plenty of times. With people, right? Like, oh shoot, it's their birthday. It's their birthday today. Why don't wish somebody have a birthday on social media? Huh? You never wish anybody have a birthday. So what I what I sometimes what I do is I'll text a person. I I'll see the birthday on social media. I'm like, oh man, let me let me reach out to this person. Be like, yo man, we have connection with that birthday. Yeah, yeah. Just to so you know just disconnecting with them. But listen, is our guest in yet, Rick? Huh? No, no, the guest's not here yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be a good one today too. People. Oh yeah, guys, you guys, you guys. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, but Rick, yeah. Along with that, I, we're talking about something today. I was working outside, working on my my lawn. Right, that's other people pay. That's one of my pastimes that I love working on my lawn because I like the gratification of seeing the transformation of the thing. And I was just thinking about people live in their AC house, go to their AC car, 
to the AC building where they work, and then they do that in the reverse. And, and, they park they in their, and they park in the garage in both locations. Correct. And if and they'll drive around in the parking lot at Walmart until they find the closest one to the door. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they and if you if they don't go to the gym, they don't sweat. Nope. Their body don't is not exerted by any kind of physical activity. They're not tired because they're tired. They're just tired because the clock is turning and it says it's bedtime. And, 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 and I think, and I was telling Rick, when you work out, it does something for you psychologically. First, you can't lift 135 pounds, right? Then you start lifting 135 pounds. Then you move, three weeks later, you had 185. So now you understand that through pain, and through different different actions and consistency that you can move a needle. That's the first thing. The second thing now is now that you've moved that needle, you're seeing your body transform. You know, oh, there's a transformation. So I can transform myself from where I was to some to where I aspire to be. And even though there's stress on my body, my body feel aching, I can still go through with the consistency and get this. Um, Get, get these results. Yeah. So, and it transfers into your life into different areas because you see somebody, like everybody has anxiety. And I'm sorry, sorry, um, all you therapists and, and, and everybody else out there that you're probably going to be like, oh my goodness, he's in now? Yeah. We, we, uh, hey, 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 listen, this right here that I'm talking about is, is a long thing because our guest today is more important than what I'm saying. So, yeah. But, this, but what, what we're talking about, we're going to have to do an episode where we probably b- b- bring in, um, bring back in um, uh, uh, my boy um, from, oh my goodness, bro, boy. if you're listening to this, the boy, my head, you wished him have a birthday on Facebook, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> 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 we got to bring him back in. He's a bodybuilder um, and, 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 and a professional. So, so he could run down some of these um, things that's happening to our body from now yes, working out or exerting um, energy in some other form and fashion. But yep, guys, man, we're going to move over to our guests now. So uh, stay tuned. All right, travelers. All right. We are back with you for this our favorite segment of this show. Marlon and I, we can talk all day long. We do talk all day long. Our wives are always wondering, like, why the heck are you still, why are you calling him again? Didn't you just talk to him 15 minutes ago? I got to tell her, something else came into my mind. I, I got to let him know, right? And vice versa. Uh, so, but, so we love this part of the show. We get to have someone else come into the mix. And today, our special guest is none other than David Selinger. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, yes. Man, why don't you start off by just sharing us a little bit uh, about yourself? Sure. You know, what I'd love instead is if, if instead I, if I could talk about me for a little while. Is that cool? Can we, can we do that? Oh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll just talk about me. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, let me introduce myself. Like you said, my name is Dave Selinger. I'm a 44-year-old uh, repeat entrepreneur. I grew up in a little town in Southern Oregon called Merlin, which is a suburb of Grants Pass, which is a suburb of nothing. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, then I got a chance to go to Stanford. I studied computer science, robotics, artificial intelligence. I went from there, started a number of different companies during the dot-com uh, era, and then ended up joining Amazon. I worked, uh, worked on their AI and machine learning and recommender systems there. That was a phenomenal experience. In the nights while I was at Amazon, I started a company called Redfin, which is a, a now publicly traded real estate company. And then I started another company called Rich Relevance, which is another machine learning company. And uh, we sold that a couple of years ago. I left there and then I started uh, my current company called Deep Sentinel. Along the way, I have uh, done a B minus job of raising two wonderful girls who've recovered from my parenting reasonably well at their age. And, 10 year old and a 13 year old. Um, I am married to the love of my life. Uh, she's married to me, unfortunately. And then um, what else? Oh, and I've started a bunch of nonprofits and I've had a chance to work on a bunch of nonprofits in my in my career and learned a lot about what that means to serve and what works and or more what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, doing my best, kind of wandering my way through this thing. So that's Man, me. David. Say, well, since you don't really do much, uh, we'll probably just uh, stop this show right here. <laughs> Between the hours of two and four, I'm pretty boring in the mornings. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man, man. So, I mean, you said a lot of uh, names that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, but more importantly, man, you kind of shared like the, your, your whole core from beginning to end and where you are now, which is great. Uh, what we want to do is take it back take it back and as you walk through those different points in your life um, and just share with our, our travelers, which we call our travelers, our guests, our listeners on the show, um, because they're all on this journey with us, uh, kind of the behind the scenes of what it looks like to say, hey, I was working here and then I started this and all those different things. So let, let, let's go back to, you know, where it began. Like what gave you, I mean, when did you realize that, hey, tech, and I'm kind of leading this a little bit more, yeah. leading this because I know the background, but tech was your thing. Like, this is what you wanted to do. Yeah, so I, I mean, as a as a young kid, my mom bought us a computer when I was I was six years old. And, you know, it's hard to explain that to, to travelers who are under the age of 40, right? Like, buying a computer, right? Like, a, a, a computer exists in our, our you know, our freaking refrigerators, our dishwashers have computers Correct. that are more powerful than like the ones you would go out and buy back then. But it's 1982, 1983. And you, you had to like spend a small family fortune to get this little device that had crappy graphics and a dot matrix floppy, printer. Floppy or, or, disk. Yeah. I'm a floppy <laughs> disk drive. It had a, a five and a quarter inch floppy disk drive. Yep. Had enough storage that you could store exactly like one book of an encyclopedia on it. You know, I mean, <laughs> no pictures, by the way, just to be yeah, really yeah. clear here. And, you know, I mean, it, it was awesome. just a different day and age. And that that was <clears throat> still, though, to me, I remember when when she she bought it and she brought it home and it was a, called a leading edge Model D. And I I saw potential. I saw that this thing could do so much more than any other device I'd interacted with in my life and that I wanted to make it do things that it had never done before. I wanted to learn how to program. Mm -hmm. I wanted to to make my own games. I didn't want to play other people's games. I wanted to make my own. I wanted to um, make make programs that would make people more effective or help them do things they couldn't do before. And 
Uh, and this is like me at six, right? So I was thinking like, you know, travel to space, obviously, is the next thing I'm going to do. Unfortunately, you know, I'm not Elon Musk. Didn't That, that is not the path that ended up happening for me. But, um, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to what could be done. And, and, you know, I mean, I think a lot, I talked to my dad about this a lot, about how fortuitous it is that I was born in a, in a day and age when that was even possible, right? Like yeah, zip back yeah. 15 years and I, that entire series of events never happened. This never happened. Yeah. And because they didn't have really good asthma medication, I just died at the age of seven, uh, you know, yeah. of an asthma attack, you know, like, I don't know, but I mean, it's just, it's just super fortunate that we're born when we are and we have all mm. these possibilities in front of us. The internet came about while I was, you know, alive and that opened up an entirely new world of opportunities um, and I, I was super active in, in all of those. I mean, I remember when the internet became a possibility uh, in, this is about 1992, <clears throat> 1990, 1992, somewhere in that range. And you used to have to connect to the internet using a modem, right? Like that's that screeching sound that you yeah, hear yeah, on yeah. movies that your parents yeah. watch, right? And so, uh, so I, I was part of this small committee of citizens that lobbied the local university to connect the internet to a phone line so that we as as people could connect to internet in our county and we formed a nonprofit and we pulled the internet from the local university and that you know there was internet now in, in the county called josephine county which is this county in southern oregon and it was a group called josephine county internet consortium and and we raised money from local businesses and, and like wow. you know individuals to bring internet to my county and that was like a brawl like oh my yeah, god yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you know I, i've always i've always kind of been in awe of technology and, and it was events like that where i realized <clears throat> that even as a kid if i'd set my mind to something and i wanted to do it and it was inspiring and it was leaning forward and it was good that by just telling that story and sharing that perspective, I could get other people to do that. I mean, there's this 16 year old going around to the local business leaders saying, Hey, will you mm -hmm. like give thousands of dollars to bring this thing called the internet to our County? And, and, and people did it. And then we had the internet and then they loved it. And then we had more internet, you know, and it, and it like, it, it, it really lit up this idea that even the smallest individuals can inspire change in the world around yeah. them. And so yeah. I was really fortunate that my parents encouraged that behavior. I mean, there's a lot of parents that are like scared of their, their kids yes. becoming agitators. And my parents were just, you know, they were scared of me. Let, let me just, just be clear. I was not a, <laughs> an easy kid, but they, they really grew that and they engendered it. And that, those would be kind of the two things I would point to, to, to my childhood that really, led to me becoming a technology entrepreneur was this combination of a love of technology and a love of the future and then a belief in, in change and a belief that that we can bring about good change so, um, so I, I love that do me a man I, a thought came to my mind as you were sharing that david and i jumped to the present day like so uh, i think all us three are all right in that same time frame you guys are both a little bit more senior than me as it shows on the screen. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, and, he, and, he still ha and he still has hair. So yeah, right, right. I still have hair, right? I had awesome hair. Let me just let me just tell you, my fro is 12. I had 12 inches of Jufro up here for a good part of my 20s and my 30s. 
Well, and then I had kids, and now I have none of it. <laughs> Absolutely zero. I have wigs though. Yeah, there I tell you my go. Kids, oh yeah, Daddy used to have hair. No, he did not. Yeah, oh, right. No. <laughs> Pictures got to tell you. So they, uh, you know, you, you go back. And you, I remember those times. The mom brought home the laptop. I mean, the, the laptop, the computer, the big old computer. You know, and uh, she was building computers and all that kind of stuff. And but. Having the access that we had, it gave us kind of a more a desire to go after it because it wasn't something that was, you know, relevant. It wasn't every day. Nowadays, when technology is right in kids' hand, you know, do you see the, the difference in terms of that hunger for tech when it's so common? Now, I mean, you have kids, all of our kids are around the same age, as you mentioned, the age of your, your kids. You know, do you, do you see just a, a different approach to technology from their point of view than what you had or we had back in the 80s? I mean, I, I certainly like telling kind of the, you know, the, the, when dad was little, we used to walk uphill both ways and 500 feet of snow. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 you know, there's that perspective where, like, you just don't appreciate everything you have and how good you have it, Sean, you know, like. And I, I, I've got two daughters, so they really don't yeah. relate to that when I say that. But, you know, I I, um, <laughs> I I really actually respect how the new generation views technology in a lot of ways, because I think it's so much more inspiring. They can see a future that is built on assumptions that I could never take for granted, because while I love my background and that inspiration, it, it's also a handicap in terms of the breadth through which I can see the future, right? Like one, one of the great examples for me was when, when Musical.ly launched. I don't know, Musical.ly is now called TikTok, right? Like, yeah, yeah, which yeah. everybody knows. Yeah, but yeah. when my kids started using Musical.ly, I was like, ah, whatever, right? Like, what? okay, so the, the videos are shorter, right? Like, whatever. Yeah. And they were like, no, dad, you don't get it. And the, the assumptions that they put into not just the technology, but the way it's used, the social mechanics and how important those social mechanics are, which ones are the future and which ones are boring and the ones that I invented, right? Like, by the way, yeah, those are the ones that are boring are the ones that, that I invented or my generation. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I actually think that I, I find myself wildly inspired by the new generation in terms of the way that they view technology. I remember putting my iPad in front of my daughter when she was three, my older daughter, and just realizing, oh my God, I have a three-year-old that is fully manipulating and, and, and yeah. feels in control of this device. Yeah. It has 10 times the computational power of, of the most advanced computer I had in college even. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, I think, transformative. Like that's the foundation of the next revolution. And, it, and if yeah. we begrudge them for that, I feel like all we're doing is we're missing the opportunities that are in front of us. Oh, I love that perspective, David. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Go ahead, Marlon. You want to say something? I, I, I just want to know, like, you know, so some people, <clears throat> I think it was President Reagan that says, um, everybody wants to go through life, um, try to make an impact or figure out what they want to do. And he said, Marines don't have that problem. I'm a United States Marine. And he said, Marines don't have that problem. You, when somebody goes on Amazon right now, when somebody goes on Redfin, when somebody, even um, Deep Sentinel, when somebody goes on all the things that you have created, how do you feel knowing that you're actually steering or influencing how people use these devices or use different apps or what, 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 
whatever. How do you how do you feel or how do you look at them? You know, I mean, there's, it's a great question. I, I feel really proud of it, first of all, of course, right? Like I put in a ton of energy into those things and, you know, I put up with all the failures that kind of came along the way. Probably the biggest single daily influence I have on the most people was at Redfin, we invented interactive mappings on computing devices, right? Like that's the foundation on which Google Maps was, you know, Google Maps was a direct copy of Redfin when they launched the first version. Mm -hmm. Huge influence in terms of the technology platform that we built. Um, we built a bunch of different types of technology in terms of cons consumer analytics and, and A-B testing. That's, that's kind of the platform of the current internet generation. At, at the end of the day, though, you know, um, you know, I'll zip forward to today, I, I, again, kind of being an old guy without any hair now and what hair I do have, like I, I shave it because it's gray. Um, one of the things that, that I do talk to my kids about and that I, again, I find kind of, um, <clears throat> I find reward in is that while I'm proud of those things, we as a family have decided to use as many of them as possible as credibility building and driving conversations about what's right. And, and what I mean about that is that instead of being proud of that as a standalone accomplishment and kind of pointing to it and saying, ha you know, that, that that's mine. Yeah, 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 like a that, that it's part of a past that gives us the ability to have a conversation or force others to have a conversation or engage others in a conversation about, yes, this is me. And so therefore I would ask that we talk about not necessarily how great that is, but what are the things that we should be doing in the future? What, what are the ways to use that experience to inform a policy decision or a decision about how we spend our allowance, right? Like, or a decision about whether we donate to um, the SPCA or to a school in Africa, for example. And, and um, that to me, you know, and again, I'm, I'm going to sound like an old dude. So, cause I am, so I'm just going to own that. But that to me, actually, I found to be much more rewarding. The, the accomplishment itself is great, and I and I do love it, and and I and I love it. And for a large part of my career, I lived in that. Um, but I'm now at the phase of my life where you know I'm thinking about my my legacy. My parents are getting older. I'm thinking about life as a cycle, and I'm I'm really wanting to make sure that a the world that I leave my kids in is better than the world that I came into as much as possible. B, my kids have the coping mechanisms, the experiences, and then something of the framing, the moral framing to lead great, productive, engaging, and, and awesome contributions in their lives. Um, and, and then C, you know, whatever I can actually leave as my own personal legacy. Um, but, but, you know, and that's a, it's a little bit weird to kind of talk about that from that perspective. But I mean, you know, we just went through this pandemic where like the world became really big and really small all at once. We all became members of, of the first, <clears throat> the first time in global history where every citizen of the world participated in an extended event together. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now we didn't, by the way, participate in it at, in, as a kumbaya moment, right? <laughs> we all saw, there was very little kumbaya in the last yeah. few years. Yeah. But so the world got very small in that we all had to go through that together, but it also got very big in that I think in a lot of ways, we realized that while those other big things are really important, what really is important is my values and my family. And, and I'm going to have to spend a lot more time with them than maybe I, I anticipated, uh, you know, and, and 
And so I think that those types of questions um, are relevant to a lot of people in a way that, that they weren't two years ago. I mean, there was a huge change in careers amongst venture capitalists and technologists. We saw a much larger career transition over those last two years than we've ever seen before. Most of the people in tech stayed in tech, but we saw a lot of people leaving California, going to, to Texas. A lot of people that were in small companies saying, for my family, I just want stability. I, I don't really care about having an awesome job where I have lots of contributions. I just want more money. Let me go to a big company. And a lot of people at big companies saying, I've made a lot of money and now I'm sick of being in a big company. I want to be in a small company where people care about me and I can make friends. And I saw more of that in the last two years than I've ever seen. And so I, I think <clears throat> in some ways I look at the pandemic as having as having kind of spurned that type of like what matters to me type conversation. And, yeah, absolutely. and that's been, you know, very front and center for our family. Um, and, and as you know, as you, as you mentioned, Deep Sentinel, that's why we started this company as a family too. I was going to ask you kind of, did that birth out of, you know, just having that record, you know, recognizing that, you know, as a family and, you know, I, I love how you always refer to your family. It's a beautiful thing, man, because of a lot of people that have, uh, obtain success, you know, we say, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, a strong community around that individual. Um, and even though they may be in a spotlight that that strong community is just as important, just as strong as they are in pulling it forward. Um, it, are these conversations just to re- pull it out a little bit more, are these conversations that you're having with your family, with your, with your daughters, like, Hey guys, you know, I mean, I, I bet you can expose them to so much, right. But even in exposing them to so much, like this is the core, this is the center around anything. These are how you make decisions around this, this is the topic or that topic, or this is how you can use your influence in different situations. Talk to us about how you kind of share that experience with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I try as much as I can. Um, you know, yeah. I, th- I think parenting, a lot of people say parenting is a journey. And I think there's nothing more true than that, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the it just just like the rest of your life, you, you're trying to figure out how to do this thing. And I uh, I definitely have gone through, you know, a bunch of different phases. Like, for example, if one of my kids were to walk into the middle of this podcast, you know, three years ago and freak out and say, get out of here. This is super important. Da, 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 da. It's work, right? Whereas yeah. now, you know, I've, I've kind of got to the point where it, that's real, right? Like, and, and I think the world's got the point that's real. And I, I actually have had kids come in in the middle of meetings and, you know, I was meeting with a bunch of new investors said, Hey, well, you're here. Why don't we say hi? And then let's, <laughs> let's get you out of here and, and, and go back to whatever it was you needed. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, you know, I think that's kind of a, an analogy to the way that I view their exposure to, to everything. So we, we as a family used to invest a lot in nonprofits. That's actually how I met my wife. She was in uh, child services, and she was a social worker for kids in in Oakland, which is a very important and difficult job. Yeah. And I had a nonprofit that served kids in Oakland, and and that was how we met. And uh, I and and so that that's become part of our our communication as a family and our value system as a family. But over the last ten years, we've also learned that my contribution and the contribution of these nonprofits it's hard. It, it's a, it's a tough space. It's a space where I don't get as much ROI uh, as I'd like because either they're struggling with funding or they're just, they're not run with the same yep. degree of precision as a business or yep, yep. there's just a ton of different reasons. And so one of the things that we talked about as a family 
um, was getting them involved in that, getting their perspective. So I brought them, one of the nonprofits that I was on was, uh, I was on the board of a nonprofit called the Darfur Stoves Project. And this was a, a great one. I was out of Berkeley. And so I brought my kids up to Berkeley. You know, they got to go to Cal, which is, I mean, freaking yeah, amazing yeah. school. Yeah. Too right. bad I went to Stanford. So I think it's like, you know, the, the number two school in the nation. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's just an amazing campus, an amazing school. <clears throat> And so I brought them there. I took them to the lab. So the Darfur Stoves Project built a special type of stove that uses a very small amount of steel, but makes a very efficient cook stove. And it mm. turns out a huge percentage of the population of the world still cook using, you know, traditional fuel over a, over a fire. And so if you can make that more efficient, you can enable the women to spend more time uh, in, in these families learning, growing, learning new skills, because they live in very, most of them live in very traditional patriarchal societies where the women, their job is cleaning and cooking. Yeah. Um, but if you can reduce the amount of time and energy it costs to cook and clean, you can broaden yeah. the set of skills and broaden that mm. kind of social perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big contribution. And so I brought my kids, they, they saw the stove, they met the scientists, they learned about the social contribution. And then we use that to just ask some questions like, do you think that's valuable? Why do you think that's important? How do you think about other people's lives? And, and it, it, um, it's an important part of the dialogue because I feel like if, if they don't know what daddy does, one of the other things that we've realized is we do live in a, in a family where I work and my, my wife's job is taking care of the kids, but they need to learn the value of work, whether that's in, in the context of mom's job or in the context of dad's job, those are A, both jobs yeah. and B, that both members of the adult part of our family are contributing <clears throat> and we do it differently and we value each other's contribution and we talk about each other's contribution and that that's kind of one of those tight knit pieces of fabric that whether you're in a family that's struggling financially or a family that's, that's very comfortable financially, we happen to be very comfortable financially that it's still important that everybody contribute, that it's still important that everybody is aware of everybody's contribution, that it's still important that everybody is appreciating everybody else's contribution. And that, uh, that, that yes, daddy's jobs and, and, and investments pay for X, Y, and Z that mommy uses, but that doesn't mean daddy's more important than mommy. It means that daddy needs to appreciate mommy and what mommy does just as much as she needs to appreciate what he does. And so, you know, that's yep. a long answer to your question, but I think in no, every possible way, we bring our kids into every possible discussion. Like we're, we're, um, you know, raising another round of funding <clears throat> for Deep Sentinel right now from uh, strategic partners and venture partners. And, uh, and the kids know that, right. And the kids know why that is. And they know that we're going to be selling stock and they know, uh, you know, as much as a, as a kid can kind of know yeah, yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they absolutely do. We have a family meeting every Sunday. We all bring issues to the mm -hmm. table, whether those are emotional or, you know, these kind of financial things. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a family where we didn't do a good job of that. I don't think it all the time. And we've made the decision to, to just be open that, that we're going to face challenges and it's okay to mess them up. It's okay to change our mind. It's okay to we'll do it together. Yeah. To do this, but we do it together. That's uh, absolutely right. I love Man, it. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's, that's wonderful. It's a journey. Um, I, I, I appreciate the compliment, but I mean, I mess it up, you know, twice as 
And that's the reality. It's easier, it's easier to fix something if you know that you mess it up, or th- then to somebody that's just headstrong, just like, no, 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 it's good. No, 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 yeah. it's good. No, 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 I mean, it's good. And that's that's been the hardest thing for both my wife and I is just like being willing to have that dialogue about everything, you know, and and you know, she's she's my perfect yin and yang. I'm I'm all left brain, she's all right brain, she's all emotions, I'm all analytical analysis. And you know, the kids get to hear that, right? Like the, my wife will Cynthia will just say, like in the middle of a discussion, we're talking about like what's going on with the business, like, did you think about maybe you know your customers just feeling this way? And and it'll be eye-opening and, and it's really letting it. realize that you do have to have both of those yeah. things at the table and that it's not that daddy's job is daddy's job it's <laughs> that that we're all kind of part of that we can all contribute to it my, my daughters you'll see behind me have the, there's these designs of our cameras that we did my yeah. daughters contributed to that and they, they drew their own designs and they they wanted oh. to, to be part of that to feel like they could bring something to the table for all of that and i think that's you know it's it's not um Hoorah, hippie, right? Like I didn't end up using the bad ones, but I took the ideas yeah. from the good ones, you know? And, yeah, yeah. and I think that's that's just as important that I got to, to say something. I got heard. This one didn't get used. This one did a little bit. And this is what we ended up coming out with. And that's reality. That's life, right? And when they leave the house and they're working, you know, they're going to hear, hey, that's good. That's not good. All right, let's go back. Let's maybe have to go back and brainstorm or whatever it may be. Uh, but that's your you're introducing them to what life is about, right? Uh, and being a part of that. So man, I, I, I love it. They, uh, you mentioned a couple of things in there in terms of uh, daddy's jobs, daddy's investment. <laughs> right, right. You know, go ahead, Marla. I know you're great. You, you want to harp on that part of it. Go ahead. That, and also the, my, 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 my greatest thing is like, after your, I'm, I'm, we're going to get back to the job because, you know, I'm Jamaican. So we have like, Five, seven jobs. So, <laughs> my daughters, when they got to pick the movie they wanted to watch last weekend, was Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. They <laughs> love Cool Runnings. Yeah. Your dad bond. Your dad bond. Oh my gosh. Sorry. That's a horrible action. I shouldn't do it. But they freaking love Cool Runnings. They just, they, 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 yeah. Anyway. We watch that as a family like every couple months. Oh, yeah. My boys love it too. <laughs> uh, but somebody that's tried and true like you are, right? And you've produced at a, at the, well, soup, the highest level, right? When you go into an investor, right? What is it like that, you know, Mr. Sellinger is coming in and he's going to talk to us about. <clears throat> And they're presenting and they already know your background what is that what are they just like okay okay just quick for you to help finish your presentation because they want to jump on it because they know hey you 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 you're, you're up here with all your thoughts or are they still like ah you've been listening to the success journey show you could check us out on our social media on youtube instagram and facebook also on our website thesuccessjourneyshow.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. Well, I mean, it's it's a little bit of, of fit more than anything else, really. I mean, some investors, they, they kind of invest this direction or this direction. And so I, I don't see it as them evaluating me as much as I used to. Like I used to feel really judged because 
Uh, and also, sometimes things just don't work out, right? Like, kind of look at Elon Musk and, and, and the Twitter deal that he just kind of finished doing. It's not, it's not like his money is not green at $44 billion, right? It's just like, yeah. is this kind of, is this a fit? Is this a direction that, okay, we see the dollars and cents. What's the direction that we're going to take this? Is it something that we want to do? Is it is it something that's aligned with our, our mission and, and our vision? And, and, and so as I've kind of come to understand that... <clears throat> investors are part of a supply chain. So, so venture capitalists are part of a supply chain of capital that comes from family offices and insurance funds. They're the limited partners that actually give venture capitalists their capital. And they have a contract with them. And that contract says, you're going to invest in businesses that look like this. That's why yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. either inside of that sphere or you're not. And so there's a certain yeah. degree of like, let me tell you why I'm in this sphere. But the, the way that I tended to go into those meetings much more is like, all right, here's what I understand about your sphere and where you're supposed to be investing. Here's where I think we fit. And here are the areas where I don't think we fit. We can talk about that and see if this is good enough or aligned enough in other ways enough that you want to kind of squeeze that in and make it work. Or if it's too far away, then, then you know, we shake hands and keep in touch. Or if it's uh, if it's something that like you're just super passionate about, we can just sit and talk about it and and and, and jam. Um, you know, as accomplished as I may think I am on a daily basis, that it, it also doesn't mean that like I'm I'm not Elon Musk, right? I'm not I'm not Jeff Bezos. There are people like that that are that are raising capital too, that are even you know that entire other level of of capability versus myself. And so, you know, I see it just much more as. I'm going to do my best to communicate crisply what it is that I do to you. And, and, and then once we have that communication, we can decide if it's a fit or not. Um, again, just much, much like more like a, an interview, getting a job or, or something like that. It's not that you're not qualified for it. It's just, is it a good fit? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So entrepreneurs, you hear that out there. Cause I think a lot of people when they go into a room and they get the person that says, no, <clears throat> they just think their idea is not good enough. And they don't understand that sometimes the fit is what the person's looking at versus the idea. Because oh, like man, you said, for some people, sure. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Like I, I would love to clarify that if I can. Like I remember the first couple of times I pitched investors and I was pitching these angels that wanted to invest in businesses that could that could grow to be a hundred million dollars. And the idea that I had was an idea that could grow to be 10 or 20 million dollars and had a very high likelihood of success. It just would never be a hundred million dollars. And they all said no. And, and, and I interpreted that as saying, my idea is bad. My idea was phenomenal. It just wasn't a fit for those investors at that particular time. The other thing, by the way, to remember, and for all the investors that are listening in here, is that investors actually, uh, plug your ears, please. I mean, they're not actually that bright. Um <laughs> I'm an investor. No, I'm <laughs> I, I used to think that investors like had some view of the future that was like more sophisticated than mine. And I actually believe quite the opposite now. I, I believe that investors are trying to understand the future just like everybody else, but they have to view it through the lens of capital markets, which is actually a much more constrictive lens than a lens of people and technology and, and, and businesses and business plans and marketing and, and doing stuff. And so um, they they actually are followers much more so than they are leaders. And, and mm. when you don't have money, right, and you need money, it's really easy to see the people as having the money as being a leader. It's like, they said, go do this. I'm going to go do that, right? Like, they got money. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. the dude with the checkbook just told me 
if I go and instead of building a Ford, I build, I don't know, I, I, I build freaking fish tanks, that that's the future of cars. No, right? Like the future of cars was still what, what Henry Ford thought it was. That was just yep. the investor who happened to have a bunch of experience building fish tanks. Like it has no bearing on the actual future, but they said to go do that. No, don't do that. Like you, you, if you know, this is going to work and you really do, I think that's way more powerful than some like uninformed investor saying, I think, I think the goal's over there. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Before we, so we don't leave this up. You said something about when you go, when you went into a company, you had the idea and you said, you know, I want to build it, build it to a $1 million, a hundred million dollar company. And the investor saw that, nah, what you're doing, or they, you know, after fleshing out or whatever the situation is, murder board it or whatever happened, that, the, that, that wouldn't be a hundred million dollar idea. How do you figure out in the world, because everybody thinks their idea is golden, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody says that it's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to make a billion, everybody, I'm going to make a billion dollar company. They think it's so <laughs> easily, easy, right? How do you, how do you maneuver in that space to say, like you say, hey, um, Deep Sentinel, you said it's going to be uh, a 50 to a $100 million company. Um, mm-hmm. So how do, how do you, how do you factor that in your head? Well, yeah, this is the argument part, right? Like, so if you get a chance to talk about this, then you're probably talking about the right thing. Uh, you've convinced the other person that there's an opportunity. You've convinced the other person that you're worthwhile having a debate with. You've convinced them that there's some there's some like product gap or service gap in the market. Now you're just talking about size. By the way, right? So, so that's number one, right? This is uh, this is I think one of the most complex types of conversations you can have because different types of investors care about this differently. So debt investors, I care about the market being big enough that you don't blow up and you can pay my debt back. That's Bank of America. That's Wells Fargo. That's somebody that you're, even if you're doing venture debt or you're, you're doing an equipment loan, I want to buy this tractor or this piece of equipment, uh, these computer servers, and, and I'm going to use them for this. What they care about is that the market is big enough that you are not going to blow up before you can pay me back. Yeah. Equity investors. There are really kind of three schools of equity investors, but I'll, I'll pull them apart at the at the extremes. At one extreme is the dividend profitable business um, um, uh, where I don't care <clears throat> if the market is billions and billions of dollars, but I really care if it's uh, if it's going to generate profit long term. What are the long term profit margins in this space? So if it's a $5 billion market or a $10 billion market, as long as you're making $100 million and you have 30% margins, I get a huge return of $30 million a year. And and we all go and party and have champagne. By the way, as crazy as that may sound, that's not big enough for a lot of VCs. A lot of VCs will not invest unless the opportunity is is such that you can build a business that has a billion dollars in revenue or more. And so in those types of investors, that literally that's what, they will not invest at all. They won't even give you a penny. Yeah. Mm. Unless you can convince them that your opportunity is so big that you could be capturing with your product innovation a billion dollars in revenue a year. You don't get a penny until you can convince them of that. And that's where kind of traditional venture markets have gotten to. And so in those spaces, there's really kind of two big arguments that you make. The first is it's a huge market and it's growing. So in, in the case of Deep Sentinel, there's a huge market selling into small and medium businesses. 
Um, and it's growing because small and medium businesses have not had any solution for the types of crimes that are occurring now, which is catalytic converter theft, auto burglary, auto theft, um, vandalism, homelessness. Those types of crimes themselves are on this huge kind of secular trend up into the up into the right. And then there's no solution for it. That's up into the right. And there's a technology disruption that makes a solution available today. That's the second part of the argument. So today is different than yesterday. And why is today different? Why now? Why are you relevant right now? And that can be a technology transition. That can be a secular trend. The world changed, right? Since the pandemic, nobody wants to rent WeWork space anymore. So therefore, they want this. That's a huge reason why now. And so the, the two big arguments for those really large things are, why is it big and growing and why now? Yeah, I love it. The travelers, I hope you guys are hearing this. Uh, David's giving us a real behind the scenes uh, of going down this entrepreneurial journey um, and the things that you're gonna come against, uh, what the market looks like, what investors look like, um, stuff that you can't, find just reading a book a lot of times. Uh, so that that alone, David, uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, I, I want to go, I want to touch from a different angle. Uh, and more so, you talk about your entrepreneurial spirit, but at the same time, knowing your technical background, yeah. you know, we've seen it in Silicon Valley where it's, it's worked uh, over time, time and time again, but in the vast um, you know, states here, a lot of CTOs are very so technically driven that they're okay being in that, you know, co-pilot seat, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just making sure everything is technically sound. What gave you, when did you realize that, hey, you know what, I think I want to venture out on my own and not only build something, but take it to the market as well? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've done the technical roles and, um, I think there were two key points for me. The first one was that if you were in the number two position, you do not get to decide the morality of an organization. Mm -hmm. And that was unacceptable to me because my bar for integrity I found was higher than the bar of most of the people around me. It doesn't mean everyone. And it doesn't, you know, I don't mean that to, to judge individuals. It's, it's a personal yeah. thing. It's a decision yeah. about, how I want to treat people. Like if you have a, an accusation of sexual harassment that is based in your company, A, do you fire them? You know, do you B, do a long investigation with the intent of, of trying to find an out? Do you fire them in five seconds? Do you fire them in an hour? Do you fire them in five hours? Do you fire them after five days? Those are the types of things that really matter to me. And where the rubber meets the road, um, your top salesperson has a, a charge of sexual harassment that is backed up by three witnesses. What do you do? You're at the end of the quarter, you've got 24 hours. If you just wait 24 hours, you're going to make an extra half million bucks. What do you do? And so the first thing I decided was I don't want to leave that decision to anyone else because most people do not have the ability to say, they are gone yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I faced this, I actually had my top salesperson it was one week left in the quarter, had a humongous pipeline 
and uh, was at an event with uh, a number of other employees and this happened. And uh, I didn't even wait till the next day. I called my attorney, called my head of HR. It was like two o'clock in the morning, issued the paperwork done. Mm. And, uh, you know, just that to me is, again, like I talked about family, like what is it you want to tell your kids? Like, Hey kids, I wish I would have worked for somebody that did this or like, this is the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah, And there's a lot of issues that are gray by the way too. And I think gray issues are just as important because gray (laughs) issues require somebody that can listen. And that's Mm -hmm. another thing I like to model for my kids. I'm not good at it yet. I'm working on it, but that, that being able to listen to somebody that disagrees with you is just as important as being able to make a decision on these black and white issues. Being yeah, able to yeah. hear somebody say something that you find anathematically incorrect and engage them intellectually and honestly and sincerely. And when you ask them, tell me more, you don't mean tell me more so you feel heard and I'm going to prove you wrong in two seconds. What you mm-hmm. mean is tell me more because I'm going to listen to you. Tell me more because I am going to learn from being in this conversation with you because I have more to gain by listening than I do by teaching. Yeah, yeah. And that to me was the type of leadership that I found very difficult to find. Uh, The second reason is ego. And that's that I think I can do that better than than the people that were around me. So I figured I'd give it a shot and do it myself. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. They uh so so when you look at that, you know, going back to the statement of many jobs, right? The capacity, capacity. Um, you know, a lot a lot of people, Marlon and I were talking about it today, you know, they work there, you know, nine to five and whatever profession they're in, and then they get home and they're like, Oh, I'm tired, I gotta go lay down, go to sleep, and you're like, Okay, that can't be every day, right? You know, and then it's like, you know, but depending on whatever their career is, whatever they're whatever they're doing uh, but then you have other people that are like all right i'm going from that job then i'm you know i got a, a quick little job i do side hustle i do right after work and then later that night i do something on the weekend i'm coaching or i'm doing another side hustle here and there um you know this this just they love being busy um how do you you know look at yourself in terms of i know you said at one time you tried to retire and then next thing you know, you're up until early in the morning just writing code. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, mean, I look at it as stages of life is the way I kind of look at it. So like earlier in my career, I had a side hustle all the time. I had two or three of them. That's where Redfin came from. And and frankly, I eight think side that, hustle. <laughs> Redfin was a side hustle at first. It, yeah. I mean, it was it was like eight months between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m. for a long time. It was that was a brutal. That was a lot of work. Um, and then all weekend long, um, it was, it was a ton of work. Um, and I think, you know, when you're still in the phase where you don't really know what you want to do or what's your, what's possible for you, because every person has their limits, right? Like, and, and, and I don't think limits are a bad thing. I think limits are a thing that we all should discover and find and then maximize within, within us, right? Like God gave us certain gifts and Whatever those are, you know, there you go. Like at least figure it out and maximize what you got. Do the most of what you got. And so in the earlier days of my career, I, I think that was reasonable. And I'm glad I did that. Um, I pushed it. I worked really long hours. Um, and uh, and I did lots of things at once to try to figure out what were the things that I liked the most, what were the things I didn't like, who were the types of people I like to be around. I got exposed to a lot of that kind of quasi, not quite high integrity decision making that was like, you could justify it, but it wasn't still wasn't the right thing to do. 
And so having a ton of broad, diverse, high risk experiences early in my career, that was awesome. Um, Then in the middle of my career, I tried to kind of maximize that where I had a lot of, um, I sat on probably two or three, four boards of directors in in, uh, nonprofit space. I was on the advisory board of a number of companies. And then for the last six years, and I was doing investments, I was doing a bunch of investments here and there and spreading my money out and like trying to figure things out. And then in the last six years, I have one company. I have done some investing, but way, 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 way little. Um, uh, and I don't have any nonprofit boards I sit on anymore at all. And I only have one advisory seat that, I, that I've taken. And that's for one of my best friends. And so it's been a phase of focus. And that's not because I don't think I couldn't do more. It's because I know that what I'm doing is meeting the needs for my, again, my, my family and myself, like yeah. for myself, what do I need? You mentioned it. I need to be busy. I need to be yeah. technically engaged. I need to be working on something that is advanced from a machine learning perspective and a technology perspective and a data perspective. That's yeah. my technical kind of roots. I need that. I know that even if my family was getting fed and all this other stuff was happening, I didn't have that. I would be dissatisfied and I would get antsy and I would mess things up. I would, I would like go into a failure mode. And so I need yeah. that. Um, then for my family, I need to be able to do all those things I said before, show work, uh, engage my children, do something that makes the world a better place. And what, what we did as a family when we chose to start Deep Sentinel and I chose to start Deep Sentinel was we made sure that Deep Sentinel kind of checked all of those boxes. Uh, so I didn't have these extra itches that, gosh, well, we're making money, but we're going to leave the world a worse place. Gosh, I'm you know running a, a startup, but are we going to make enough money that it, it, it sets the kids up for the future? Uh, or I'm making a bunch of money and I'm only working five hours a week. None of those things were acceptable outcomes. We had to find something that would fill the time, be a real contribution, be something that we're proud of and, and make the world a better place as a family. Hmm. Hmm. David, man, man, yeah. man, we could talk all day, man. We could be doing best friends. You know, I love, I just love <laughs> your perspective, man. I love it. Something in that Oregon, Oregon uh, air over there, man. Yeah, yeah that's uh, the second, that's the second person from Oregon that had that, well, he's from Chicago. He was an implant. He was an implant. He was from okay. Chicago. Yeah. Well, I mean, Oregon's Oregon's a really neat place. It's um, I grew up on a river, on a town with a river, and we grew up going on the river every week as a family. And my my parents, you know, like every parent, like they they made tons of mistakes. Um, but one of the things that that I feel like they did do really well was they rooted me kind of in the earth and and um. Again, not in some like hippie way, like we didn't smoke weed as a family and stuff like that, right? But um, <laughs> uh, but we we were always on a hike and aware that we are yeah. part of a bigger thing, and and I feel like that was one of the most important things that my parents gave me when when I grew up. There was a a, a waterfall about twenty minutes away, twenty minutes drive, and then like a, an hour long hike called Rainy Falls. And whenever I felt like I was out of sorts. I would put on my Birkenstocks. So there's your hippie moment right there. I put on my Birkenstocks and I'd drive out to, to Rainy Falls by myself or with a friend. And then I'd hike out there and I'd just sit with the waterfall. It's just immense amount of noise and nature and water and birds and fish. 
And I would sit out there for 20 minutes or an hour or three hours yeah. until it had helped kind of clear my mind. And even if I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, I would feel like I knew where I sat relative to whatever the issue was. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't know what my parents did well or what they didn't do well, but they did do that. And I love that. I, I think about that all the time. Man, Dave, when you know, because I'm looking at Twitter, right? Twitter oh sold 40, 44, <laughs> yeah, 44 billion, right? Yep. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that's split up many different ways. Some have to go. I, I, well, anyway, you, you you know more about you. Could, your head can understand it way more than I can. However, when do you know when to sell a company? Because well, you that was what was called a hostile takeover, right? So yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of choice. Yeah, yeah they didn't have a whole lot of choice. But but that's well, yeah. But when do you like? When do you? When did you know that you wanted to sell that your, your company? Yeah. So I mean, I'm not very good at this. I'll, I'll start out with that. Um, where where I have advised people and where I think people know the answer here. I kind of break it into two buckets. There's the personal bucket and then there's the business bucket. And, and both of them um, are legitimate reasons to sell. Obviously, in my view, the personal one comes first, right? So if you have health issues, you have family, you're, you're like on the cusp of divorce or you're on the cusp of losing custody of your kids or like, you know, th this is going to have a marked effect on your life forever and the lives of your children forever then you know that that just is and and it, it's interesting because i bring that up because it's easy to think about a business decision only in the context of the business when when in reality especially for entrepreneurs the business represents so much more of our lives than just does it make sense in a dollars and cents like let's say i owned twitter and i have a huge health issue and i have to go to work every day and yes maybe it's worth $35 billion, but somebody offers me 20 billion today and I get to go deal with my health issue and be there for my kids for my last three years. That's the right decision still, right? Correct. Like Correct. black and white. And, 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 and I bring that up as in kind of an extreme example, but, but I'm blown away how often I find myself forgetting to ask that question. How often I see other entrepreneurs forgetting to ask that question. They'll be like, well, you know, I, I spent 20 years building this business and you know, I have this heating and air conditioning business or this plumbing business and it's worth, I think it's worth $20 million and I'm getting offered 15. I haven't gotten any offers for the last few years. And, oh yeah, yeah, my wife's about to leave me and my kids are really unhappy and they, they're going to therapy three hours a week. And I'm like, dude. Sell it. I, if, if it were, you're getting 15, yeah. I'd sell it for five tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. In order yeah. to fix those other issues, right? Like if that really is your best offer, it's not worth 20 million because it's not a liquid market. You have to remember right. that for companies, unless you're a public company, in, the, in which case Twitter right, is kind of a bad yeah. example because it is a public company. There is not a liquid market. Like you can feel like it's worth however much you want. Correct. But if nobody's walking up to your door and offering you something, it's not worth anything. Not it's worth like it. NFTs right now. Like it's, NFTs Correct. are worth $3 million, but nobody will buy it from you. <laughs> uh, congratulations <laughs> and so 
you know, and, and they'll figure that out. And I'm, I'm kind of picking on the, the short kid in school. That's me. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> NFTs will figure it out. But like if nobody's offering you anything, it's not really worth that much. You, oh, well, I make $3 million a year. So it's got to be worth 30 million bucks. Well, how many people offer you 30 million? Zero. Okay. Well, it's not worth 30 million. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It, 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 it gets to be so emotional that we, again, we get all of our emotions tied into the business side and we forget that, that it, there is this entire other business, the personal side. Then on the business side, there are two things. One is it so much money that you don't think that you're ever going to get more. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the second is, do you have other businesses you want to start? Do you have other things you want to be kind of putting your energy into? And this enables you to do that, regardless of whether it's a perfectly fair price or not. The best example I have for that was Travis Kalanick, uh, the, the CEO, former CEO of Uber, the co-founder of Uber. <clears throat> and a lot of people focus on Travis's experience at Uber. And that's, that's great. But I don't think that's where we can learn that much from Travis. One of the neat things about Travis is Travis had started two businesses prior. And the one just before Uber, he had sold to Akamai. It's an it's a internet beat up company. They, they, they do something called Content Delivery Network. And he had built a small content delivery network. And I think he sold it for about $15 million, which in the context of venture funded stuff was not very big. It was, there were a lot of reasons not to do that deal, but he did. And, uh, and it, you know, maybe it could have been worth 30 million or a hundred million. Like the, the, his biggest competitor sold to Akamai like five years later for like $350 million. Right. So, mm. you know, well, he, he only made 15, maybe he could have made 350 if he waited three more years. Well, but you know what? If he would have waited three more years, you know what he would have missed out on? Uber. Right. Yes, sir. And so there's there's the, the the second thing, which is does this enable you to do something else that you're more passionate about? Have you lost your passion for this business and it's you know kind of reached its maximum potential for you? Or it's reached its maximum potential with you at the helm. And that's a that's kind of a, a second question. And then the third one is just are you bored? I have a lot of friends that, you know, they've started businesses and they were really engaged with them for a period of time. And then now they're at the point where they're bored and bored can be okay if it's making money and it's growing and you got a good team around you, whatever. But I also have friends who they're bored and they're losing money or it's getting smaller and it's getting worse and they're just attached to it. And in my view, that's a good time to either hire someone to run it or to sell it because all you're doing is doing damage. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, listen, David, we, we, man, we appreciate your time and we want to, Oh man, I burned through the whole hour. I didn't even realize that we didn't even talk about me as much as I wanted to. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, man, this conversation here was, well, you, you wrap it up. I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. Yeah, no, it, it was, um, refreshing, you know, David, because, you know, a lot of people, they were asked Marlon and me, like we, we do these pot, we're on the East coast course. So we do these podcasts at night on our time, on our time, you know, and be like, wait a minute, you know, eight 30, on East coast. Like you guys are still working. And I'm like, it's not work. This is, this is, you know, learning and, and meeting new people and sharing their stories with the world. And it was just an honor just really to, 
dive into your world a little bit, right? I mean, there's so much more I know you can you can share with us, but just with the little bit that you have and the key takeaways that at least I'm coming away from with this converse, this conversation is, is one, just that integrity, being true to yourself, uh, knowing that you got to go through that journey of finding yourself. And when you do, you know, just really be confident in who that person is. Um, and don't forget, like, just who's helping you get there and what responsibility you have for that next generation, right? Amen. Uh, whether it be your immediate family or anyone that you're connected to um, and just leaving, leaving that legacy. And, and we know that the journey came with a whole bunch of highs and lows and, and tireless nights and sleepless nights and, and, and concern, concerns. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I love what you said. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm comfortable, but I'm not, you didn't say this, but you're not, I'm not satisfied because there's, there's another mission ahead of me. Right. And there's another goal ahead of me. And what we want to encourage all of our, our travelers is just through this story, through this experience, take a, take the time to look at yourself, man. Take the time to look at where you are right now in your journey. I don't care if you're just getting out of college. I don't care if you get ready to retire through that whole spectrum. And just really think about what is the true essence of, who you are, you know, and what are you going to leave behind for, or what are you going to create or leave behind for the world that's around you and, and be, and be true to that. So David, man, I, I really appreciate you stopping by uh, to the success journey show uh, today. Uh, if you have any just parting words for our travelers, um, why don't you to share that with them now? Sure. Uh, I, I, I would probably offer two things. One, if you, if you want to, uh, learn more. I didn't talk much about my company. My company is Deep Sentinel. We do uh, this awesome type of security, uh, which is preventative security, physical security. If you've got a business, we can help protect it better than any other company in the world. That's that's why we do it. Uh, you can go to YouTube and check that out. Um, if you're into cops, like watching people stop crimes, that's what we do. Um, if you want to learn more about me, I've got my LinkedIn. You're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I post you know blurbs here and there. I try not to get too political. Um, and then, you know, I, I think what, what you said was was spot on. You know, I think everybody is in a journey. One of the other things that I, I like to encourage people, again, at, at all these various stages of being an entrepreneur is to, to do it, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are scared about, can I be an entrepreneur? And that doesn't mean jump before you've done some preparation. Let me just be, be really clear there. Like, that doesn't mean like, hey, I just had this idea where I was at the bar last night and I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. Like, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> What I am saying, though, is that if you put the work in and you put the research in and you're open and you listen to feedback from people who have more experience than you and you surround yourself by those people and you convince them that you're worthwhile investing in and that they're willing to help you, that there's no one who can't be an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur is not the, the individual that does all the work. The, the entrepreneur is the person that brings all these other people together and learns from everybody's experiences together. And anybody can do that. You have to choose to, to do it. Um, and, and so, you know, for all the, the travelers out there that are at various stages of the journey, you know, keep going and, and keep learning and, and surround yourself by amazing people and you'll find your path. Yeah, definitely appreciate it. Yeah, sir. So travelers, man, we come to the end of another show. We thank you for tuning in with us today. Hey, we wouldn't be here without you. So we really appreciate you. Thank you for all the reviews that you have been leaving on our platform. If this is the first time you're listening to the Success Journey Show, 
Hey, check us out. If you're on YouTube, check us out on iTunes. If you're on iTunes or any other podcast platform, check us out on YouTube so you can see our faces as well. Um, and also go to our website, the successjourneyshow.com. All right, guys, we love you. We thank you for joining us again. And we'll see you next week at the same time on the Success Journey Show. Everyone have a good one. Peace. One love, one love, one love. You've been listening to The Success Journey Show, where your dreams, drive, determination, and diligence are the foundation to success. For more information, check out thesuccessjourneyshow.com. The Journey Squad is here helping you to your destination.